everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, hello, Discovery Christian Church. I am so glad this morning that we live in the time that we do, where I can still be a part of our time together on Sunday morning. If you are new to this church since this new year began, we are just on the front end of the sermon series called The Prologue, and we're spending most of our time diving into the book of Genesis. The whole point of this idea in this sermon series is so many people, when they think about Jesus, when they think about Christianity, when they think about the church, immediately they start talking about, well, humanity's fallen and broken, but Jesus came in and he, he wanted to do something about all that. And that is good. And that has its place. And the Bible, the way that it's organized, even the way that Jesus chose to live, seems to have this cadence that always begins back in the very beginning, in this prologue, these first two chapters of Genesis. And so we're doing a deep dive today into the text and into the literature of Genesis 1 as we try and figure out what's going on here and what does it have to do with our lives today. Now, we are still asking questions um, still today about what is God like? Who is God? What does he want from us? All those kinds of things. Those are all storylines that get picked up in all different kinds of theologies, different kinds of literature. There's also another theme that pops up in literature all the time, and it's this theme of a commoner who realizes that they're royalty or realizes that they're special. I mean, this is any number of Disney princess movies, right? This is Snow White. This is Sleeping Beauty. This is Tangled. Although, I think Tangled is a pretty rough movie for most people. Her name is Rapunzel to begin with, so that's unfortunate. And whereas all these other Disney princesses get these really awesome animal sidekicks, she gets stuck with a lizard. I mean, it, it, she just really drew the short straw there. I mean, one of the best examples out there is Anne Hathaway's breakout film, The Princess Diaries, everybody's favorite. But the list goes on. I mean, this is any number of Marvel movies. You can throw in Captain America or Batman right here. This is Luke Skywalker or Ray Palpatine Skywalker. Does she hyphenate? I think she hyphenates. Uh, it, it continues. The story continues. It's as if there's this seed that's hidden in humanity that we know. Like, we're not just crude matter. We're not just these slaves that are oppressed and are meant to hang our heads and just go about working all the time. There's something in us, even in the stories we tell that aren't, aren't immediately related to the Bible. There's this story of, man, there's just something special to us. And I'm going to share with you some lines from one of my favorite stories that's like this. It's the story of Harry Potter. Now, just to give you the heads up, there are going to be some words in here like witchcraft and wizardry. And just to be completely clear, at Discovery, we do not endorse witchcraft and wizardry. Although, if they're metaphors for something, and if there's a point to the story, we're going to side with like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, who are going to say there, there's a hope and there's a goodness to talking about a metaphor like magic. So here's some words from Harry Potter. Now, you don't have to be a Harry Potter fan to kind of understand what's going on. You see, Harry Potter is this, this young tween teenage boy who's been adopted by his aunt and uncle and has grown up his whole life being shoved into the corner. Literally, his bedroom is a closet underneath the stairs at their house. 
And his whole life, even though he's totally just walked all over, Harry knows that there's something about him that's different. And his aunt and uncle are terrified that he would find that out. Now, at this particular part in the book, this is the very beginning of the very first book called The Sorcerer's Stone. Harry and his family have gone away and they know that they're being tracked by something or someone when suddenly this giant named Hagrid bursts through the room and begins this conversation with Harry and with an, his aunt and uncle where Hagrid is realizing for the first time that this boy Harry has no idea who his real family is or what his real story is. We'll pick it up right here in chapter four. But you must know about your mom and dad, he said. I mean, they're famous. You're famous. What? My mom and dad weren't famous, were they? Said Harry. You don't know. You don't know. Hagrid ran his fingers through his hair, fixing Harry with a bewildered stare. You don't know what you are, he said finally. Uncle Vernon suddenly found his voice. Stop, he commanded. Stop right there, sir. I forbid you to tell the boy anything. A braver man than Vernon Dursley would have quailed under the furious look Hagrid now gave him, and when Hagrid spoke, his every syllable trembled with rage. You never told him? You never told him what was in the letter Dumbledore left for him? I was there. I saw Dumbledore leave it. Dursley, and you've kept it from him all these years? Kept what from me? said Harry eagerly. Stop! I, I forbid you! yelled Uncle Vernon in a panic. Aunt Petunia gave a gasp of horror. Ah, go boil your heads to both of you, said Hagrid. Harry, you're a wizard. There was silence inside the hut. Only the sea and the whistling wind could be heard. I'm a what? gasped Harry. You're a wizard, of course, said Hagrid, sitting back down on the sofa, which groaned and sank even lower. I'm a thumping good one, I'd say, once you've been trained up a bit. With a mom and dad like yours, what else would you be? And I reckon it's about time you read your letter. Harry stretched out his hand at last to take the yellowish envelope addressed it in its emerald green to Mr. H. Potter, the floor, hut on the rock at the sea. He pulled out the letter and read, From the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Please find enclosed a list of all necessary books and equipment. Term begins on September 1. We await your owl by no later than July 31st. Yours sincerely, Minerva McGonagall. If you've seen the movie, this is such a fantastic scene because you have this boy who's less than average, but he knows in his guts there's something more to him. And for the first time, he begins to see a peek into a world that maybe that gut feeling could be true. The story of Harry Potter is one of my favorites. I think that there's theology that runs incredibly deep in it. But that particular point, I think, is, is a moment that I hope you find yourself in today as we're going through the text of Genesis 1, a moment where you go, oh my gosh, I knew that there was something more to me. Now I'm getting a peek into a world where I know that that's true. So we're going to jump into this structure. I'm going to begin by reading Genesis 1, and then we're going to go piece by piece through what we find there. So here we go, Genesis 1.1, and it says this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. 
Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. And God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees of every kind on earth that is to bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky, and separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. And let there be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. So God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. I'm going to pause here again. There's a really fantastic theologian, a Jewish theologian uh, named Rabbi David Foreman, and he likes to talk about this idea of the lullaby effect. If you've heard this story before, so far you might be going, yeah, 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 got it. I've heard this before. We know there's six days. What's going to come next? If you've never heard this before, or if you were listening to this with fresh eyes, this last verse is going to cause you to furrow your brow, because in verse 14 it said, let there be lights in the sky. But if you go back to verse 3, God has already said, let there be light. That was the first day, but now we're creating the sun on the fourth day. But there were plants growing on the third day. Scientifically, this is not making sense. Hold that thought. Hopefully, if you're in this lullaby effect that David Foreman talks about, this like I've heard this a million times, Maybe catching little details like that for the first time are going to raise your eyebrows. You're going to know what is going on in this story. It continues in verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and the birds fly over the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, 
according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, See, I've given to you every plant-yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Holy smokes, there is so much going on here. And like I said at the beginning, we're going to look at this in some of its literary form, in some of its structure. There is some absolutely beautiful things going on. Okay, the first thing we have to keep in mind is Moses is getting this story from God and he's on Mount Sinai. It's a newly liberated nation of people that used to be slaves. And for the first time, they're trying to figure out who are we and what are we supposed to do? They've been raised in Egypt and they for sure have been influenced by these Egyptian gods. But this is the first time where God is coming straight to them and he's setting the record straight. And for these people who are going to hear the story for the first time, you have to keep in mind, these are newly liberated slaves. Here's some of what's going on here. First of all, um, we're going to do an exercise as we look at this. We noted that in verse 3, uh, there were some of the lights that were being created, but then we don't get the sun for a couple more days. What's going on here? Let's look at some, let's look at a couple things. So here we go. This is Genesis 1 through the beginning of 2. There's some things that I want to make sure that you see that are going on in the text that might they might not be super obvious to the typical eye, but I think as we unpack them, you're going to start to have your eyes get wider and wider. So you've heard me talk before about this idea of chiasms, and I'm wondering if you can spot something going on here. Chiasms, again, oftentimes take the form of like an Oreo cookie, where you see the same thing at the beginning that you see at the end. And so if we look here and we go, okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We would expect in the chiasm to see something similar down at the very bottom. And sure enough, chapter 2, verse 1, the heavens and the earth are now completed. Do you see how these couple things are actually correlated? Now, there's going to be a couple other things that we start to pick up. Um, it gets really interesting on this verse 3. We picked this up as we were reading. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And we actually, and we said that that's going to show up again here in verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky. Now, we're going to keep going because I want to try and test a theory here as we're going. The, the next day after God creates light, here in verse 6, it says he wants to create a separation from the water. So he creates water and he creates sky. That's what's going on 
on that second day. And if we go down now below the light in verse 14, there's a couple things that are going on now in the fifth day. We see that let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly in the earth across the vault of the sky. So we start to see now that this light thing is related and now we're starting to see that on these couple days the water is related but it's going to keep going. In verse 9 it says let the water be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear and it's going to call it land. Now that's what's happening after the water in the sky in verse 6. We would expect then to see something similar going on after Verse 20, and sure enough, here in verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. So there's this, this parallelism that's going on here that's pretty wild. And we're starting to see this, this particular kind of chiasm is not the typical Oreo cookie, but it's still a very important kind of chiasm that's, that's not at all a surprise if you're a Jewish reader seeing this for the first time. You're still seeing this parallelism that's going on. But here, if we look at verse 3 and verse 14, what we're noticing is that in verse 3, God is creating the spaces for things. But then in verse 14, he's already created light, but now he's filling the places that he's created. He's created the heavens, but now he's putting lights in the heavens. In verse 6, we notice he's created water and he's created the sky. But now in verse 20, he's letting the water teem with creatures and he's filling the sky with birds. And then the same as we get down to the land that he's created, we're going to jump down to verse 24 and he's starting to now fill the land. And so we're seeing in this God as he's creating everything that there's an order to it. He creates the places first and then he starts to fill those places with things. There is a sweet intentionality into what he's doing as he's building out everything here. Okay, now there's one other really cool thing that we start to notice here if we're paying attention. When you look at where are these things being happening, God says, let there be lights and these lights are up here in the heavens. That's pretty cool. And then when he creates the waters, he puts um, some of that water stays down on earth and some of that's up in heaven. So we kind of get both. There's heaven in that first day. There's heaven and earth on the second day. Then on this third day, it's all earth. It's land and it's trees and it's seeds. It's all that kind of stuff. And then we kind of get this reset. God puts lights up in the heavens. And so we get this day that's all about heaven again. And then on the second day, we've got the water and, the, and then the sky that are teeming with creatures. So with these birds in the sky, that's kind of still heavens being addressed. But these animals that are in the water, the earth is being addressed there again. And then finally, on the sixth day, all these animals, all these things are being made back on earth. And so you just kind of get this cadence of heaven is coming to earth and earth is where it's going to live. Heaven is coming to earth and earth is where heaven's going to live. There is this co-mingling of all things, heaven and earth. Heaven in this story is obsessed with being with earth. This is completely different from anything these Hebrews have heard before. This was not the story of the Egyptians where God was removed from the earth. And there was this whole obsession with death and this afterlife. This is not the story of the Babylonians whose God was angry and who was enslaving them and had and only wanted to take advantage of human beings. This God seems to want to be very involved and very 
personal, very up close with every aspect of his creation. Heaven and earth are being braided together here in a beautiful way. And it keeps going. The next thing we're going to see, it's just going to be easier if I, if I use graphics instead of trying to circle all of these things because there's just so much going on here in the text. But if you're paying attention to things, you're, you're going to notice there's so much repetition that's going on in this story. And for a Jewish reader, if you were a student of Jewish literature, you would know that numbers are incredibly important. There, there's a handful of reasons why each number has its own sim symbolism, but there's some particular numbers we're going to look at today, and they're really some of the most important if you're Jewish. The first number is the number three, and the number three for a Jewish person would often point them back to their patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those three folks, but it would also point them back to the, how they understood the nature of God, this Father and this Holy Spirit, this, this holy community that they would see in this Genesis 1. The number three for them means community. And as we're reading this story, there's a handful of places where threes pop out. The first is indeed the, these three parts of God. We see this God who is a creator. We see this God who hovers over the surface of the earth. And then as this God speaks, there's this word that comes out of God. There's these three parts of God that pops up. Obviously, we've covered already, there's these three places. There's this place where the lights are, there's this place where the water and the sky are, and there's the earth. But then there's also these three fillers. There's the sun and the stars and the moon, that they, they fill where the lights go. There's the fish and the birds, they fill where the water and the sky is. And then there's these creatures, they fill where the earth is. Three places, three fillers. We're seeing three repeated over and over and over, which if you're a Jewish student or a good student of your Old Testament, you're going, God is speaking community again and again and again into this story. And if you're a newly liberated slave trying to understand God for the first time, one of the unmissable things that you're seeing here is that God is a God of community. Community with us, with each other. Community us with him. Heaven being braided in. All of these themes are, are just colliding in the minds of these people as they're hearing this story for the first time. But that's not the only number that's showing up over and over and over. The second number is the number seven. Now, uh, the number seven is a number that usually stands for completion. Um, perfection kind of misses the mark. It's, it's not really the point that it's perfect. The number seven for them is there's, there's a holisticness or a fullness that's met in the number seven. And so obviously there's some really quick and easy things we see here with the number seven. The first is that there's seven days of creation. That's a pretty gimme, gimme one. Um, the second is there's seven announcements here that something is good. It's, it's as if God is saying, hey, if the number seven means completion or a wholeness, goodness is made whole. Goodness is complete in what I'm making here. Everything is completely good in this creation. They would be picking that up. Um, there, if, if you go back into the Hebrew, this one blows my mind. There are exactly seven Hebrew words in the opening verse of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Exactly seven words. And that would not go unmissed, especially because in the second verse, there are 14 words, exactly 14, seven times two. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the Hebrew, there's 14 words there, and that's remarkable, but it's especially remarkable when we realize that then in the first two verses total, there are seven times three words going on here. Somebody has done an incredible amount of linguistic gymnastics to make this number seven pop out to these original hearers. Now, it keeps going. The word earth occurs in this story seven times, three times, 21 times the word earth pops out in this story, not something that would have been missed. It continues. The word God is said seven times, five times, 35 times God's name shows up in this story. And if you are seeing over and over in the story, the numbers three and then the number seven, it probably wouldn't be a shock to you as a Jewish reader to start looking for the number 10. It's those two numbers that are combined and that would often be done with an intentionality. The number 10 uh, would, would harken back for these Jews to the idea of the Ten Commandments. It would, it would speak to the idea of God gives gifts to us or God wants good for us. And the number 10 pops up a whole bunch of times here in this first chapter. The first, the first one, the word, the phrase to make appears 10 times exactly in this chapter. Also appearing exactly 10 times is the phrase according to its kind. Um, the next one, God said, appears 10 times in this chapter. And this is where it really starts to bend our minds. When If the number 10 for us should remind us of God's gift to us, it should absolutely blow our minds. But that not only does God said appear 10 times, but three times when God says he's saying things about people, seven times when God says he's saying things about creation. Absolutely mind-blowing intentionality going on in the text. And that's not all. The phrase, let there be, occurs exactly 10 times in this story. But similarly, three times it is talking about things on earth and exactly seven times it is talking uniquely about things in heaven. If you're a Jewish reader who's reading this story, if you were a newly liberated slave hearing this for the first time, these numbers three and seven and 10, you would be seeing these things, you would be hearing these things, you would not be missing the repetition and the meaning. God's saying, I am breathing community. I am bringing uh, a wholeness and a completion and I am bringing gifts. That's what this story is about, community and wholeness and gift giving. This is what this God is like. And I hope that as you're holding this book in your hands, as you're looking at it in your phone, that it's getting heavier as you hold it. I, I hope that your eyes are getting wider as you're hearing all of this, because hopefully you're starting to understand and, and putting the pieces together. If you're a newly liberated slave, what's being said in this story is there is so much intentionality with exactly what I wanted this story to be. There's so much intentionality with the order in which I created everything and then filled it with things. There is so much beauty in the community and in the wholeness and in the gift that this is. But but the thing that would stick out to them the absolute most is while all of this is absolutely mind-blowing and incredible, the story's point we, we haven't really even delved into a lot yet.
Genesis 1, chapter 26, the crescendo of the story. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals and over everything that creeps upon the earth. And he created them in his image. If you are a newly liberated slave, this story that you're being told, the text that you're being handed is an absolute masterpiece. But what you find as you're reading, what you find as you're seeing the structure and these numbers and the, the incredible intention that's gone into this is that the masterpiece, the real masterpiece in the story is the thing that's holding the story. It's you. You are the crescendo of the entire thing. And it's not just because you're, you're just special. It's, it's not just a moment that's, that's some therapeutic backrub of you're a wizard Harry. The reason why it's so important is because you're this creature that's capable of bearing the image of God. And what does God do? Well, he's made it super clear. He said it in repetition over and over and over again, number one, what does he do? He's a God of community. And, and not just community. He was not just saying for this Hebrew nation or for Discovery Church, it's just us. He's looking at a global community at every piece, not even just of humanity, but of everything going. It's all integrated. Love everything, especially the humanity, whether it's in your tribe or outside. It's gorgeous. What else does this, this God do that he, he puts inside of his people? The second thing, he's all about completion and wholeness. I think God would be saying to these newly liberated slaves, anytime you see something that is not whole, anytime you see th something that's unjust, lean into it. I am inviting you to be my partner and we're going to set those things right together. And the third thing I think he's inviting his people to consider is how, how can you be a blessing? You are supposed to be a gift to the entire world. And I think the way that he sets that up is not by just sending them right away, but he says, you won't understand how to be a gift until you understand the gift that I've given you. Day seven, we're just going to sit back and enjoy this whole thing. And if you understand what I've given you, if you've understand the intricacy and the masterpiece and the intention of this creation that I've given it to you, and now we can just enjoy it together. Now you can take that pleasure and that goodness and that enjoyment, and you can go share that and be that with everything in creation. I'm going to invite the band to come back out, but I think it would be these three things that God would invite us to consider today at Discovery. Number one, where are we caring for our community? Not just our church, not just Christians. It, it seems like God's point was everything in all of creation, especially this humanity piece, do we care for everyone? And I, I think this is why Jesus loved to highlight the, the command, love your enemies, because if you can learn to love an enemy, you're headed in the right direction of being able to love all of creation. How do you do with people who disagree with you, who look differently than you do, whose political affiliation or sexual affiliation or religious affiliation are different than yours? How do you choose to love those who are different? That's the three. The seven, this wholeness, this idea of how do you, how do you seek things that are whole or how do you lean into things that are unjust? 
Where are you doing this in our community? Where do you see things or people or places that are broken? And how have you spent your time this week giving yourself as, as an extension of this image of God to join him in those places to make them whole again? We all have things, causes, people that are near and dear to our hearts. Where are you joining God in this idea of seven, in this idea of making things whole again. And then just like we shared just now, th this idea of 10, this idea of being a gift or a blessing over and over, God says, I I'm giving you this gift and I'm putting my image in you because I want you to be a gift. And the only way that you can understand this is if you enjoy all of it with me. We'll talk about in a couple more weeks this idea of Sabbath, this idea of stopping and just enjoying, this idea of pleasure, this idea of relationship with God in that. Have you spent time this week just enjoying something? Would you begin to consider even now in front of our sermon in a couple weeks this idea of a Sabbath, of a whole day to just consider life and creation and blessing with God so that you can become a blessing to the world around you. This Genesis 1, this prologue, is profound in the way that it can invite us to experience life and life to the full. In our story this morning, Hagrid is blown away that he's encountering this boy who's incredible, who has greatness in him, but Harry has no idea because he's forgotten the beginnings of his story or no one's ever told him. For some of you today, you're having this experience where you're, you're seeing these roots that go for you all the way back into the beginning of scripture, and it's blowing your mind. For all of us, there's this natural compulsion that should stem from the text that we get to be like a Hagrid, going into a world of people who they don't know that this is their story. They don't know that this is what they're supposed to be. They don't, they don't know what the image of God in them is supposed to do. And we get to tell them. We get to be a part of the school and the community that raises them up, that helps them understand what they were always supposed to know and what they were always supposed to be. We're gonna spend some time as we close out right now just worshiping and singing together. I, I hope that this is a time for you where some of this enjoyment, some of this community, some of this receiving blessing to be a blessing, I hope that all of this for you in this time is, is just created so that you can marinate and, and enjoy it and then become it to the world around that so desperately needs to be reminded of what it is for. Thanks for joining us today. Let's sing.